0: This week's podcast is sponsored by the book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's Delta's inspirational turnaround story, written by the editors of Airline Weekly. Lively and informative, just like this podcast. Available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle, and audiobook formats. Hop on Amazon.com and search Delta Book. A couple of weeks ago, we had a cover story about LATAM and how things were getting greater south of the equator. That certainly seems to be the case now that LATAM and its competitors have reported first quarter earnings. All the South American Airlines did pretty well. Latam, Avianca, Sewell, Copa, and Gol all reported profit margins above 5%, and some reached deep into double digits. However, moving north, things headed, well, south in the first quarter. I'm talking about Mexico, a country whose airlines pretty much all had just a terrible time. Aeromexico, Interjet, Viva Aerobus, and even Volaris posted a negative operating margin. In some cases, really negative. Joining me is Airline Weekly's managing partner, Seth Kaplan, who never posted anything negative in his life. (laughs) I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. We'll talk about South America finding its stride and why Mexico might be reaching for the tequila bottle plus some other good stuff. It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. for joining us. We're starting in South America, a region that I'm truly pleased to say is on the mend and from an airline perspective might be even doing better than that. Seth, can we say the crisis is over for the South American carriers?
1: Certainly seems to be, uh, you know, and you hear that when they talk about their own results, you see that in their numbers. You hear it also from airlines elsewhere uh, when they talk about South America. They talk about, about it as a region where, for the most part anyway, uh, things are, are well off their lows, even if they're not, to be perfectly clear, back to where they were several years ago.
0: Let's start with the biggest carrier in that region, Latam. We said in Airline Weekly, this is an airline that's trying to overcome, quote, post-merger mediocrity, unquote.
1: Real quick, what do we mean by that? Well, uh, you know, this this of course the combination of of LAN based in Chile, also with a lot of other uh, affiliates around the region, uh, in you know Peru, Ecuador, and so forth, and and Tom, uh, which was the the major, you might say, legacy airline in Brazil. Of course, the the, the true legacy airline was Vareg, that's long gone. But uh, but uh, you know the the comprehensive global airline in Brazil. Before the merger, LAN was at times among the more profitable airlines in the world. You know, you looked at a uh, the top ten or fifteen list uh, in the world. Sometimes LAN was up there. Tom rarely was that high, but it was a, a solidly profitable airline for the most part. When you put them together, uh, there were these hopes for really a, a world beater in terms of profitability, and that never really happened. Uh, you know, just as they were, you know, maybe finding their footing in terms of integrating the companies. Well, and then you had the uh, uh, all the economic issues in South America that made, made it pretty difficult for almost any airline there and so uh add it all up and and here you are with an airline that yeah uh you know although certainly not in any kind of existential crisis we're not talking here about alitalia or air berlin or anything like that an airline that uh you know i think would be the first to admit that it hasn't achieved yet at least uh, what it hoped to achieve after the merger
0: so in the first quarter did latam overcome its mediocrity the answer is no <laughs>
1: oh, I, 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 you I wanted to answer, answer
0: that. No, I was yeah, going to answer that. Okay, yeah, next question. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> uh, they did not overcome their me- mediocrity. tom posted a still mediocre 6% margin in the first quarter. Seth, what went
1: wrong? oh so you're asking me the hard part now right i, I, I took care yeah, of the number yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, well uh, fuel first of all uh, and that's that's the story for a lot of airlines around the world you know it, all things being equal for an airline almost anywhere uh you know if your revenue performance was just kind of okay compared to your earlier you were less profitable uh because of, of what happened the fuel cost uh, in latam's case, up twenty nine percent, year on year. Uh, so so you, you know, add it all up. Its operating costs were up ten percent, including that spike in fuel costs. Uh, its revenues were up only six percent. And when your costs rise by more than your uh, than your revenues, well, you make less money. Uh, some other problem areas too. You know, uh, cargo revenues. Uh, this less of a problem than it once would have been for for pre merger lawn. And this is sort of one benefit of merging is you kind of spread the risk. Lawn before the merger was uh, as a percentage of its overall business, uh, one of the biggest cargo carriers among passenger airlines in the world, Tom had much less of that, so it's just less important for the combined company. But for what it's worth, cargo revenues uh, dropped another eight uh, percent. And, and you know, Brazil very clearly things are going well there, but some other domestic markets within South America. I'm talking about Chile, Peru, uh, Argentina. Despite you know the economy doing better there, uh, some some uh, demand weakness. So, uh, yeah, a, a lot weighing on the company. Also, some competition uh, in terms of those ultra long haul routes to uh, to Europe. Uh, you know, Alitalia uh, started uh, flights to, to Santiago. However, you know, wise or not, that might have been from Alitalia's perspective. Uh, you know, that, that, that is more competing capacity uh, to Europe. British Airways also London uh, to uh, Santiago and Lima.
0: OK, I feel like we started the show with a lot of upbeat promise. And that first question. Ended up being kind of a letdown, so I'm going to rush to the safety of an airline that we never worried about, even during the depths of the Brazilian bust. Let's start with Copa, 19% operating margin... Uh, two of my favorite words are "holy cats."
1: Yeah, excellent. Uh, and you know, even here, Jason, uh, that nineteen percent. Well, it's not the twenty-five percent that Copa reported in the first quarter, of the same period uh, three years ago in two thousand fourteen, kind of the the last first quarter before things got worse. Uh, and, and Copa too, you know, an airline that at times has been the most profitable airline in the world, not just among the most, but sometimes you know the most in terms of its 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 operating profit margin. Um, uh, you know, fell far down that list uh you know performing poorly by its own very high standards uh and, and now yeah way back up there you know that, that's that's uh an airline that gets to sort of benefit from i talked before about spreading rescue it's exposed to a lot of a lot of different economies uh venezuela has been very problematic and that in fact explains a lot of why copa did slip uh but you know it's just kind of Shifted capacity to the extent it could uh, to, to uh, escape the carnage and then, you know although yeah Brazil impacted it obviously uh, now it's benefiting as as things there uh, improve and uh, you know coppa is saying it's going to put up a a, a fifteen to seventeen percent margin for the year uh, which would make it more profitable. Uh, this year than it was last year, which, again, clearly uh, not an awful year by the standards of uh, most airlines around the world, just a, just a poor year by, by Copa's own lofty standards.
0: All right, let's move to an airline that might be the most fun to say of all the world's airlines. I'm talking about Avianca. <laughs> they posted a 7% operating margin, a little better than Latam. Seth, should Avianca be happy?
1: Yeah, they should be pretty happy. You, you know, I, I mentioned... A moment ago, about some of some of the problematic domestic markets within South America, uh, you know, Avianca has all that exposure uh, to to Colombia, especially, which is just a a bloodbath of 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 low cost uh, competition, just competition in general there uh, among all the all the big players uh you know Peru as well so it's it's exposed to to a lot of that uh relatively little exposure to Brazil which of course is is improving uh there is an airline there called Avianca Brazil which has some common ownership in terms of it's it's uh, big shareholder but uh, but not a part uh, financially of Avianca so Avianca the main Avianca that we're talking about um is 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 unexposed Uh, to the improvements there. So, uh, you know, overall, to face all the challenges that Avianca is facing and to, uh, you know, to come away with that, uh, as you said, 7% margin, uh, Avianca has to be feeling pretty good about things.
0: Things are better in Bogota. Going to Brazil, one of our favorite airlines to watch. Azul posted an 11% operating margin in the first quarter for a $26 million net profit. Give us some perspective on those numbers. Brazil is in the throes of a rebound, but even so, uh, 11%
1: sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, really good. Especially when you think about uh, just what awful timing, for example, they had when it came to uh, you know, launching long haul routes to uh, Florida a few years ago. Yeah, they 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 admitted it was their time it was terrible with that. And so, uh, so yeah, for you know, it, it's they, they're in the right place to benefit from uh, everything that's now going relatively right in Brazil. Uh, you know, I want to be clear. You know, a big part of this. So you you, know, you have demand recovering in Brazil, and you also just have these massive capacity cuts overall. Um, especially by Goal and and Latam. Uh, within Brazil, uh, so so you know it's it's a combination of of demand that is off its lows but still not back to where it once was and the capacity cuts that have made things good. So um you know when you've got a domestic Brazilian market uh, that's rebounding in an airline that you know the majority of its exposure is domestic Brazil, uh, yeah no Azul um uh, has, uh, has is is doing quite well.
0: By the way, this is. Just an aside, but uh, Azul's loyalty program is called Todo Azul, and this is not a big deal, but it just dawned on me this week how much that's like True Blue, right? And that's the same name as JetBlue's loyalty program. Does Neilman have a territorial streak, or does he just not want to reinvent the wheel?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, he he obviously loves that color blue. <laughs> That's why he went down there and named another airline that. and uh, yeah, he he um, uh, loved that name True blue from the start. That by the way, Jason was supposed to be the name of the airline. It wasn't supposed to be JetBlue. It was supposed to be True Blue originally, um, and then at the last minute, they, de- sound- they decided that sounded more like a loyalty program than an airline. They named the airline JetBlue, and they kept the uh, the other name in their pocket for a couple of years. They actually didn't launch the loyalty program right at the beginning. So um, he has long uh, loved the, the, that name and names that sound like it. And uh, so so yeah, Total Azul, which which uh, you know really like all all Azul, all blue uh, in, in uh, Portuguese. Uh, yeah, why? Uh, Why, uh, as you said, reinvent the wheel? One more question
0: about Azul. Before Brazil's depression, as you mentioned, Azul began flying
1: A330s to Florida. What do their growth plans look like now? Well, first of all, they look like less than they once did. We're talking about an airline that at one point was the fastest growing airline in the world among airlines of of any note, um, any airline that you've ever heard of. They they were growing more quickly at one point. uh, gosh, I think twenty you know, percent or so uh, annually, uh, more than that a few years ago, uh, and, and they, you know, mostly slammed the brakes on that growth. Uh, they threw their their uh, the sort of various equity partners, and uh, you know, you mentioned David Nealman; he also uh, personally owns part of uh, Tap Portugal. Uh, through all of that, they managed to uh, shift some aircraft to to to, to well. In, in some cases to tap uh, uh to Hainan uh, who, whose parents owns uh, owns part of it um, in the meantime they're gonna be uh, they are now taking uh, a320s uh, they, they had this sor- sort of a weird fleet these uh, you mentioned the big a330s and then this sort of e one hundred and ninety one hundred and ninety five 195 fleet some ATRs. so rather small planes and and some really big ones and not sort of that uh, uh, just kind of that workhorse uh Regular size narrow body, Uh, so now uh, now finally they're they're welcoming those into their fleet, Uh, and so that'll be a big part of their uh, their growth plan. You know, they're they're looking to expand ASKs this year. ASK capacity uh, eleven to twelve percent. So that's still uh, you know rather significant increase in capacity. It's more certainly than the uh, than the other major uh brazilian carriers mentioned Colonel latam uh but uh, a lot of that is is uh, uh larger average aircraft and uh, and and distance it's the departures are going to be up just uh one to two percent this year uh and so they're uh to, to to one degree or another kind of trying to let the market uh, grow into itself uh, even if their competitors would say kind of have said uh without, without naming names that uh, uh as well maybe showing less capacity discipline than than the others
0: and staying in Brazil for one more, let's talk about goal. They posted a 13% operating margin. That must have been a fresh a fresh of breath air. A, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> that must have been a fresh of breath air because uh, we haven't seen numbers like this coming out of Brazil for a while.
1: Yeah, no. And, and they, again, you know, that just shows you. Here's an airline that's uh, most of its exposure, again, is domestic Brazil. And, uh, wow, an, an, an excellent uh, uh Result there. All of these results, by the way, we're talking without the benefit of Easter in the first quarter this year. Uh, so, you know, and it shifted out of the first quarter. It was there last year. So, uh, you know, a lot of these results for airlines in, in uh, you know, in a country like Brazil where that matters, uh, the results might have been even a little bit better without that so so very clearly in the case of goal, we're talking about an airline that that, that was kind of on the ropes a few years ago uh you know that, that was just trying to stay out of bankruptcy uh and seems to have very much turned the corner uh you know has, has a lot of work to do as a balance sheet to continue repairing and all that but uh doing much much better uh than it uh, uh than it was doing uh, a few years ago, And you look at the goals. Doing a lot of the same things that a lot of airlines everywhere else are doing. You know, it's, it's densifying its cabins, for example. Uh, you know, the, 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 to the extent you can in Brazil, pursuing more ancillaries. That's, that's a country that was long that was long difficult uh, because of restrictions on bag fees and you know, selling food on board and all that. But uh, doing all those things, and uh, so so between doing what it can do strategically and uh, just the uh, the recovery in Brazil, yeah, uh, putting up putting up rather nice numbers.
0: And now we move to Mexico, where there is no fiesta in the making, as Wooderson might say. If you were looking at an airline earnings heat map of the Western Hemisphere, Canada would be warm to hot, the U.S. would be red hot, South America would be warm, but Mexico would be downright chilly. It would probably be blue or purple. Yeah. Let's start with the worst first. Valaris, who is a perennial winner, posted a negative 14% operating margin
1: yeah, and that represents Jason. I uh, just checking my math here, but but I, I I believe the the worst year over year performance yeah of any airline. um they were uh, a year ago at positive. again, let me just make sure I'm right about this. Yeah, positive sixteen percent. That, that's a thirty-point decline um, in in uh, operating margin year on year. Uh, that, that's that's hard to do. Um, you know, they're just exposed to all the worst of it. Decline uh, in in well, just just the the, the political climate between the uh, the U.S. and and uh, Mexico related to that. The fall in the value of of the peso. Uh, it, it's off its lows, but um, you know, a lot of other currencies had had really sort of turned the corner Is that the second time I've said turn the corner is podcast should be a quote on that um uh you know longer ago um uh, creation will
0: come full circle
1: yeah <laughs> The peso off its lows, but still uh, but, but still in rather bad shape. So, you know, of course, that's going to inflate your cost as, as, as an airline, uh, you know, your fuel costs and aircraft ownership costs and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, all of the Mexican carriers are, are uh, exposed to that. Um, and I guess somebody has to be worse. And, 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 it, and it is Volaris, which, as you mentioned, noteworthy because they have uh, often been the best performing uh, of, of Mexico's carriers next up is
0: interjet with a negative 11% margin
1: yeah awful numbers obviously uh, in 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 the absolute but uh better than volaris which is which is news for them because um uh, you know interjet and and of of mexico's low cost carriers that is i believe here and i and i know you want to talk about viva next but yeah that that's sort of the uh the mildest uh uh year over year decline if only because Interjet is an airline that wasn't uh, doing as well to to start with uh, uh, you know it was exposed to a lot of the same stuff as uh, as everybody else uh, also to the brief grounding of its superjet SSJ 100s those uh, Russian built uh, regional jets that it has there was uh, there were some safety questions uh it didn't last long but it was enough to you know cause some some uh, financial impact and uh, so you know given all of that uh, you know i guess uh, only on a very relative basis you have to be uh, somewhat encouraged that they managed to perform better than Danvelaris, which has uh, you know as sort of the more classic ultra low cost model and uh, the aggressive unbundling and all the rest of it. Denser cabins, everything has uh, generally uh, outperformed Interjet. Interjet is, I should say, um, uh, network wise much less exposed to the U.S. Uh, they're doing more of that, but uh, it is the. the, the has been up until now a much more uh, domestic-focused airline. So that tells you, too, that that uh, U.S. exposure for uh, Volaris uh, probably explains a lot of the uh, differential there.
0: Moving on to Viva Viva Aerobus, they seem to have minimized the damage with a negative 8% margin.
1: Yeah, so that was the best of, of those three of the low cost carriers there. Uh, still, though, a, a, an awful year over year performance. Let's see, they were at fifteen uh, percent a year earlier, so we're talking what a twenty three percent or so, uh, twenty three points or so, I should say, margin decline. That's really bad. Just not quite as bad as Volaris. but um, yeah, it's an airline that's uh, gone through a lot of transition. It, it's it's uh, just a few years ago, uh, you know this was a an airline that had a very old fleet for example uh, you know 737-300s classics now it has A320neos in the fleet the first couple of them it's mostly uh current generation A320s uh i wonder when we'll start calling neos the current generation i guess they're, yeah some point right so so uh you know it's it's uh yeah managing to keep its its head above water uh, kind of uh, and again the easter shifts all the rest of it, it would have done um a little bit better um but uh you know, a negative eight percent margin is, uh, of course, nothing for any airline to uh, to feel too happy about. Um, you know, there's been a lot of capacity growth in Mexico over the past few years, and and might have been outstripping demand anyway. And then you sort of had everything that has happened recently uh, in terms of, you know, especially the uh, the political environment, the, the declining peso, and uh, all that growth uh, combined with demand issues. Uh, you know, explaining what we're seeing here, and, and I should say, you know. Slash the cost issues also that come along with the uh, the falling peso
0: and the Mexican carrier with the most successful quarter was Aeromexico who posted a just just a negative three percent margin. I read in Airline Weekly that Aeromexico was saved in part by southbound demand from the U.S.
1: Yeah, Americans continue going uh, to well, of course, places like uh, you know Cancun, but not only there. Um, and and yeah, you know Aeromexico uh, also just has the exposure to a lot of to a lot else in the world you know to to uh to europe uh to asia and has a lot to be excited about going forward you know the the uh the joint venture with delta here is is uh is just launching you know aero mexico has talked loudly about capacity discipline um and uh you know practicing that more than the uh than the lccs around there um so so yeah no you, you you've got to give them credit for achieving what they have and uh you got to be you know relatively optimistic going forward um like i said especially if, if you look at what tends to happen with airlines after they get into jvs with delta um it, it, it's 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 usually a uh a, a positive story not with not with Stanley, perhaps uh, virgin australia i guess that's the one that comes to mind that's uh, in a jv with delta but uh, in that case a very small jv and and very big problems uh, elsewhere in the airline
0: Okay, now we come to the miscellaneous part of the show. Uh, There's a couple of odds and ends I wanted to touch on. We mentioned in this week's cover story that there's a business case to be made for profit sharing beyond just, uh, let's call it positive employee
1: relations. Can you describe that business case? Yeah, well, it it makes your cost base more variable, Uh, you know, so essentially so that when when times are bad, well... do it this way, uh, you know. The problem in the airline industry very often is that you know when 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 times do turn bad, uh, you know when revenues drop, uh, your costs continue uh, very much the same as as before. Um, and that was uh, you know I, I, I remember with, with the uh, with the with the Delta book that we wrote. You know Leo Mullen, who was the CEO of Delta back uh, back uh, when 11 hit, describing in the book how you know so here you had this of course the most cataclysmic event the the industry had ever faced 9/11 uh, but but a lot of Delta's costs just continued as if nothing had had changed uh, of course you could fly less burn less fuel but just the you know this is a fixed cost industry well uh, with profit sharing you do make it more of a variable cost industry in the sense because if your profits drop uh, you do have these costs uh, that are you know that that are tied to your profits and and these costs that will drop automatically uh, when your when your profits drop, so sort of mitigate the uh, the damage.
0: And not all airlines agree on profit sharing. Is that right? Who likes it? Who doesn't?
1: Likes it? I, I think just some think that it's been useful, uh, as you mentioned from, from an employee relations standpoint. Um, I, I think you know the the best way to uh, understand is that some of them did it because they it, it was. Because they couldn't pay employees in real money. Uh, You know, a lot of the profit sharing uh, promises started back when in the US when the industry was doing so poorly that basically all they could tell their employees was, look, uh, we don't have any more money for you, but we'll give you this profit-sharing plan so that if we start making money, uh, you know, we'll, we'll share some of that with you. Uh, and then, of course, they start making a lot of money and start sharing sharing a lot of that money. Um, American, I would say, has been the, the probably easier to say who's against it than who's for it. You know, American's been the most... Ex- the, outspoken against it uh, even though they do a lot of it um they they tried to get away from it and basically uh, Doug Parker the CEO has explained it just philosophically uh, you know they're they're fine with incentivizing employees but they just don't think that um that the jobs of most employees correlate exactly uh, look i mean think of how many times we've mentioned fuel costs in in this podcast right um so somebody throwing bags on the ramp you know, a, a large part of the company's profits don't have to do with how well he or she throws bags on the ramp. Um, they have to do with these things completely out of the control of, of that employee. And so, basically, the philosophy as well. Then, why should that person's um compensation be tied to that? It should be co- tied to, uh, you know, along with, you know, if anything, if there's going to be any variable component, I guess you know, airline management would would argue, you know, it's something to do with that person's performance. Of course, in the airline industry, in terms of rank and file workers, much more commonly tied to seniority and all that. But uh, but so so yeah um, you know I don't know that any of them are are all for it they they did it because it's what they could do uh, and I would say just some of them are more you know adamantly against it now um, but employees have have sort of become addicted to it because it ended up being uh, so rich let's see now with airline profits declining uh, you know how how that changes because um, declining to be clear, from very high levels. But, you know, these U.S. airlines are, are not here this year, going to be earning the kind of profits that they were last year, certainly the year before that. Uh, and so let's see if employees before long are the ones saying, you know what, never mind the profit sharing. Give us more of that uh, guaranteed uh, compensation that you wanted to give us a couple of years ago.
0: Another thing we talk about in that cover story is all the cost savings that airlines are getting from new aircraft. They're saving on the maintenance and fuel, of course, and uh, but they're saving so much. And let me know if I'm overstating this, but it seems to be changing the business model a bit. Is that surprising, given that given that fuel prices are relatively low?
1: Well, so the the relative benefit is less. Uh, you know, new aircraft, all things being equal are more important I should say you know more fuel efficient aircraft which tends to be new aircraft are more important when when fuel is is more expensive that's true but the the risk of everything is lower when fuel is cheaper uh, so it so it's it's kind of so look it's still you know the, the more efficient aircraft is still more efficient you know, when when fuel is, is is as cheap as it is right now, airlines can just try all kinds of things that they can't try when fuel is more expensive. Uh, so it's just a bigger industry than it would otherwise be, just more capacity in general. Uh, and it, it just basically gives them a lot more pieces on the uh, on, 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 on the chessboard to to play with uh, than they would otherwise have. Uh, so, so they're happy to have the new aircraft, uh, I- even if the, the the fuel savings by definition is is less than it would otherwise be just because fuel is cheaper.
0: Okay, last question of the day. I want to go back to that airline earnings heat map idea. <laughs> My question is, can we make that a reality? I'm thinking we put it on the east lawn of the Airline Weekly campus. <laughs> Have you been to the east lawn? It's it's beautiful. There's swans yeah. and fountains and marble. And yeah. I'm thinking a hundred yeah. foot tall screen, LED, uh, uh, real time, hey, global. We were doing so well. We were having such a good podcast. And then I brought it down to a very childish level. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go talk to engineering <laughs> before we talk to budget. Budget will yeah. <laughs> be easy. I mean, we make so much money from this podcast alone. We can. Yeah. Cool, All yeah. right. Well, clearly That's we've it. gone on too long. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. It's the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by the book Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era.